Holy wig, Batman. This silly line from uh, Batman's Boy Wonder was sort of a catchphrase for Robin in the Batman television series, which lasted from 1968 to 1966, rather, to 68. If he was ever shocked or dumbfounded or disturbed by a situation, he would always utter the word holy and then describe the obviousness of the situation. If he didn't understand it completely, he would say, holy perplexity, Batman. When Batman blew a hole in Riddler's lair, Robin would say, holy smoke, Batman. And strangely, when Robin found himself bound and restrained in an electric chair, he would say, holy fruit salad. I don't get that one, I must tell you. In any case, I hope you will agree with me that cartoons, kids shows, TV shows from the 1960s, they are wholly appropriate, especially today where our readings point to Jacob and a mysterious figure in what I call a holy smackdown. God is good, amen? amen. Repeat after me, God is good, and so I am good, and so it is, amen. Well, for the sake of context, over the past few weeks, we have been exploring the story of Jacob in the book of Genesis. Two weeks ago, Reverend Janice introduced us to a Jacob in limbo and on the run, caught in between his conflict-ridden past and an uncertain future. And in the midst of his fear, in the midst of his loneliness, Jacob dreams of a ladder, longing for an inescapable God and then he actually awakens to an experience with the divine. And last week, Reverend Kristen informed us on the power of how Jacob's life story is a truly universal human experience. That when we completely immerse ourselves in the fullness of our humanity and in our own stories, we are then able to encounter and fully engage a God of real life, liking what is. In our reading from Genesis, Jacob encounters more drama in his one life to live. You ever feel as if your life is not so much like Betten and Robin, but more like Susan Lucci from All My Children? Just one big soap opera. Drama, drama, drama. Well, Jacob's life is like several soap operas wrapped up in one. In Jacob's life, you find the bold and the beautiful. You find the young and the restless. And then when you get past his love life, there's his family history, his grandfather Abraham modeling how a loving parent should not act by almost murdering Jacob's father Isaac. His father Isaac being the favorite child or chosen one over Jacob's uncle Ishmael. Or how about Jacob stealing his brother Esau's blessing and deceiving his father Isaac in the process. Trouble always seems to follow Jacob. It's always around him. Drama, drama, drama. Like sand through the hourglass, so are the days of Jacob's life. And just when you think he's experienced it all, something else comes along. What is it this time, Jacob? Is it the blessed gospel light that Forever Blessed sang about a minute ago? Or is it just another episode of Guiding Light? In chapter 32 this morning, we find Jacob on his way to face his estranged brother Esau. There are reports from their mother, Rebekah, that Esau intends to finally kill Jacob for stealing Esau's birthright years ago. Jacob, who is no stranger from running away, he's terrified, and for good reason. Who wouldn't be? Especially Jacob, who is a trickster. He's a manipulator. He's a scoundrel. 
He sowed so many bad seeds in his life. Surely the universe is going to catch up with him right now. Is it time for Jacob to finally pay the piper? Maybe. But in fact, Jacob does decide to send word that he is now a pretty wealthy man because of his marriages. He hints that he wants to pay off his brother. Just please don't kill him. And Esau responds by gathering a posse of 400 armed folks. Trouble is a brewing. Scared for his life, Jacob then sends the money up front, thinking that if Esau just sees the green, if he sees the briefcase full of $100 bills, then all will be well. Everybody likes money, right? Surely everyone has a price, don't they? Jacob is scared. Fear, fear, fear. He feels it like we feel it. We don't like being scared, being in danger, being in midst of uncertainty. We too want to avoid it, and we want to run from it, don't we? When earthquakes begin to rattle our lives, when the waves of our life struggles begin to belt us in this sort of tsunami-like fashion, we want to run away as fast as we can. We just can't come face to face with them. What if they run us over? What if they end up drastically changing our lives forever? We all want to be free of the pain and the trouble. We all want to be free of drama. Why face our fears when we can simply run from them? Sweep them under the rug. Why face a struggle when you can buy peace with your wealth, right? Well, until that one day comes when your routine physical comes back with abnormal results. When your biopsy unveils a malignant mass. Fear, fear, fear. When you've got the best job in the world until you find a pink slip waiting for you on your desk. Struggle, struggle, struggle. When your college hopes are all planned out, your scholarships are all in place, and all is well until you find yourself unexpectedly pregnant at such a young age. When you've been successful financially, that is, until you've lost track of your debts and have no choice but to file for bankruptcy. Shame, shame, shame. And we see that today. Jacob is scared. He's ashamed. He's ashamed and scared like we get sometimes. And so what does he do? He immediately sends monetary gifts, but there's no word that Esau has received the money or that he wants to accept it. And so this is where the fear really begins to set in now. And what does Jacob do? He puts himself in the shadows of loneliness and isolation once again. But he also has the nerve, the nerve and the shame to send his family, send his possessions ahead of him so they will encounter Esau before he does. Despicable. He is throwing his family under the bus, letting them deal with his problems, making them struggle with his issues, and forcing them to wrestle with his fears. How many times do we want others to fight our battles for us? Up to this point, Jacob has avoided all danger. As long as he doesn't cross that river, he'll be okay for the time being. Surely he'll be safe all alone, right? I do think Jacob does sense that there's a reckoning at hand. There's a settlement that needs to come, a settling of scores. But he has no clue as to the full-on rumble that is coming. Holy smackdown, Batman? Precisely. Robin. Suddenly, a person shows out of nowhere. This mysterious figure, a stranger, shows up right where he is and wrestles Jacob to the dirt. It's a scrappy rumble, too, just like Batman. You hear pow and zap, 
And you can imagine all the word balloons, especially as Jacob tries to give the wrestler his best Batgirl kick. Kapow, can you see it? The wrestler fights back, almost pinning Jacob down. But Jacob all of a sudden gets a second wind and he overpowers this stranger, clotheslines this wrestler. But this guy fights dirty. He's a scrappy guy. And he strikes Jacob on his hip. He wounds him, but Jacob still somehow is able to maintain control. And in midst of this sacred shuffle, when the stranger begs to let go, this wrestler begs for freedom, Jacob has the mindset and the nerve to demand a blessing. And he receives it. It's a blessing in midst of the struggle. And even though Jacob comes out of this brawl limping, he'll never walk the same again. Notwithstanding, he still somehow receives this blessing. Now, part of the blessing was in the giving of a new name to Jacob, Israel. Israel, meaning God wrestler. God wrestler. God wrestler. God wrestler. This mysterious mass figure was not simply a human, but he seems to be something more divine. All of a sudden, we're given a clue that Jacob is not simply wrestling with humanity. Jacob is wrestling with divinity. Jacob has just wrestled his own God without getting pinned. And I don't know about you, but that makes me a little uncomfortable, wrestling with God. I thought we weren't supposed to wrestle with an omnipotent God. We surely can't out-wrestle an all-powerful deity, can we? It's a holy conundrum. It's just not right. It's blasphemy. It's heretical. Wrestling God then leads to questioning God. And we're taught not to question God. And yet, this is precisely what Jacob does. God starts a fight. Jacob wrestles along, questioning God. And then basically forcing God to give him a blessing. And in this, Jacob is forever changed. But that's not all. His God is forever changed. You see, like many of us, Jacob didn't have a true and total relationship with the divine yet. Jacob, before this encounter, like many of us, had a relationship not with God, but with a certain image of God. How many of us used to hold a certain image of God that was scary? It was frightening. How many of us used to serve a God that was uncaring, unloving, we gave this image so much power that we allowed it to intimidate us, to make us feel unworthy, make us feel unlovable, make us feel uninspiring. And then, like Jacob, we have tricked and been tricked by false images of God, which then help to create an atmosphere of fear, but also an internal disposition rooted in fear. In my younger days, a few years back, long time ago, long time ago, I used to love praying at night, or at least I thought I loved doing it. You see, I believed in a loving God, but that love was always conditional. That God loved me as long as I prayed every night. If I stopped praying, or forgot to pray, or I didn't pray the right way, or I was too busy to pray, I literally thought that something bad was going to happen. And for sure, God would stop loving me. That was a given. So whenever something bad happened in my family. When my mother's home was broken into, I was the one to blame because I forgot to pray. When my dog had to be put to sleep, when he needed an operation that we just could not afford, I was the one to blame because I forgot to pray. 
when my aunt was robbed and sexually abused, I was the one to blame because I was too busy to pray and communicate with God. My whole relationship with God as a young kid was based in fear. That was my image of God back then. And then, when I began to question that God and the conditional love which that God had, it was a holy smackdown. When I began to wrestle with this God, I got my blessing from it. But see, my blessing came from walking away from that image, to let it go. Do I still have a few wounds from that image? Oh, absolutely. Was it hard letting go of that image? Yes. Did it hurt walking away from it? Yes. But by wrestling with God and releasing that image of God, I began to, tr to find the truth of who God truly is, but also who I truly am. Now, hear me out. When we say wrestling with God, I don't believe in a violent God, not at all. There's not a violent bone in my body. I will not even play football because the God in me is not a football player. <laughs> the last time I played football, I came away from the game with a concussion. And I learned never to play flag football again. <laughs> That's a true story, by the way. But here we see Jacob. He was face to face with his own fears, not only of God, but especially of people. Especially his own brother. He, like many of us who have lived this trouble-filled life, these people who have been considered scoundrels and even caped criminals ourselves, we who live a life not only of disease, but of dis-ease. When life challenges come and come by way of other humans, what do we do? Whenever there's something we don't understand or we feel intimidated, the first thing we do is we attribute the worst possible motives to others. Jacob did this with Esau. He wasn't only wrestling with an image of God, he was wrestling with the divine in his brother. In a sense, he was wrestling with Esau in this passage before actually meeting Esau. You see, Jacob loved his brother. He wanted reconciliation. But all he could see was the negative in the situation. All he could see was the negative in his brother. The inherent suspicion of him was just eating him up. The fear was eating him alive. And for him to be able to come to a place to reconcile with his brother, he would have to wrestle first with God and learn the truth of who God is within all people, especially himself. He would have to learn the truth of who God is in everyone. If we believe in a truly good God, a God who is at all times everywhere present, then we must also believe in good people. And that includes us. I was in the airport yesterday returning from Fort Lauderdale, and I was uh, in line waiting for my bags, and there was a little boy with his mother just standing there. And we all waited a, a short while, and I guess the little kid got bored. But all of a sudden, he turns around to his mother and looks at her with a genuine face, you know, very authentic, and he just says, Mommy, why am I so cool? <laughs> That's what I did. I started laughing. His mother started laughing. It's ridiculous. Who does this four-year-old think he is? He hasn't even been to first grade. He hasn't been to, the, uh, he hasn't been to recess on the playground. These kids are ruthless. But I went home very tired, exhausted, and I thought about it just a little more. Here is this little four-year-old child, not corrupted by society, not corrupted by even our negative theologies. Here is this four-year-old boy already with the assumption that he's already good just the way he is. There's nothing wrong with him. 
he's cool, he's divine, and because he's divine, he's good. Because that good God is already within him, he's okay. Why can't we start with that assumption? Sometimes we got to be reborn and, and come alive to this new way of looking at ourselves. That we are just fine, that there is something divine on the inside of us. And because of that God, which is a good God, because of that, we are inherently good also. So you don't have to buy into the lies that you grew up with. If you are here this morning and you are tired of operating out of fear, whether it's a fearful image of God or a fearful image of humanity, then have a holy smackdown. I give you permission. Please wrestle that image of God. Wrestle that image of humanity. Wrestle that image of yourself and release it and receive the blessing as you let it go. Maybe it's a fearful and negative image of yourself. Maybe you need to reimagine who God truly is for you and who God truly is within you. If Jacob can wrestle with his image of humanity and also his own divinity, then surely we can wrestle with the same things. Do you want to believe in your divine potential? Do you want to believe in your hopeful potential that Christ does live within you, that the spirit of life does live within you? Then don't be afraid to wrestle with theological concepts or, or, or theological doctrines or just wrestle with divinity and humanity. Do you want to not only experience a good God, but actually embody this divine every day? Then don't be afraid to wrestle. Don't be afraid to wrestle with divine imagery. You see, Jacob, at the end of this passage, a sun arises. Sun, light, enlightenment. He finally gets a new image of God, and he can now go on to healing and reconciliation. And later on in the next chapter, he does reconcile with his brother. And that's something we all want whether that be our sexuality or our spirituality, whether that be relationships in our family or relationships with friends. Most of all, make sure you reconcile your relationship with the God you believe in. If you will do this, then you will always see the good within you. You will always see the good in others, and you will always see that God is truly good. Repeat after me. God is good. And so I am good. And so it is. Amen.